If your business is tired of paying unpredictable and high phone bills, do what I did. Switch to Zoom Calls Cloud Business Phone Service. You'll pay the same low amount every month, no matter how many calls you have in the U.S. and Canada. And Zoom Calls has a really cool feature called voicemail drops. Whenever you reach someone's voicemail, just say hi in their name and then click a couple of buttons on your phone to leave your pre-recorded message. It saves both your voice and your time. Check out zoomcalls.com. That's zoomcalls.com. I think you'll love it. Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Well, that is right. You are listening to the home of conservative, not bitter. Conservative and not fear-mongering talk radio. It's good to be here. Thank you for joining us. Email, as always, Todd at ToddHuffShow.com. You know what? You can even do that if you are quarantined. If you're one of the Americans that are not allowed to work, we'll talk about that today. Um, as the program comes together, and look, I, I just need to say off the top, I think we can be both responsible and wise without all of this insanity that we're finding ourselves subjected to. And I want to talk about that a little bit today. So, found out, I should tell you this off the top. That apparently this virus is sexist, targeting men more than women. Just thought I would pass that along as well. Apparently this virus is sexist. I also noticed that when it re- uh, reports were given whether the virus attacked men or women more frequently, that the other 57 genders were left out, just FYI. So I want to talk this morning I want to talk this morning. I want to use this article that actually my wife forwarded to me last night. And by last night, I mean uh, early this morning. Um, In fact, I've been up. I've been up for a good while uh, today. I think I woke up about 2.30. This happens to me every so often. I don't require tons of sleep. Uh, Sometimes I need to catch up on sleep, but... I um I've been up for a little bit and been reading, thinking, going through some of this stuff uh, in my mind as we, um, you know, just as we're navigating all this, and I just keep coming back to the just the reality of how much how much fear and panic and pandemonium is out there, and as I've said for some time, I want this program. To be a voice of reason, I want this program to be a voice of calm. Yes, this is a virus that we don't want to catch. Yes, this is a virus we don't want to spread. Um, but there is a cost on the side of the other side of this, and I feel like this is not being discussed nearly, nearly enough. And this this article that was in the Federalist which I will post to Facebook, 
today. I haven't done that just yet. I encourage you to read this. Uh, written by Joy Pullman. Joy Pullman is the... Make sure I get the... Scroll down here and get this exactly. My goodness. It's it's not super long, but it's not super, uh, super short. She's the executive editor of The Federalist. Happy wife, as she says here. Mother of five children. And she's written this article. I think this is just it encompasses a lot of what i think it's put into words some things that i was planning on talking about on this program today anyway and i want to i want to i want to use this kind of as a jumping off point today so here's the headline will the costs of a great depression outweigh the risks of coronavirus subheading or subheadline here Federal and state governments are making a massive gamble about a little-understood new virus. They are betting our future on the worst, or excuse me, the most extreme worst-case scenario without considering the cost. Now, pause. Pause, pause, pause. Because this, I feel, this crisis, this pandemic, this virus, if you want to know, this this is, to me, a very... Uh, it's it's a parallel sort of, I guess, uh, scenario as to as to how people who are on one side of the climate change debate, even though they tell us there's no debate, one side of the climate change argument, uh, at least as it pertains to man's role and what we can do about it, and what the you know, apparently for some of these folks, it doesn't matter what the cost is, even if man is contributing to whatever. Um, here we should we should pay it, and we should pay it immediately, even if the it doesn't matter. They, they don't even stop to calculate the cost. That's why you hear people like AOC saying things like, you know, we're talking about saving the planet here. We're talking about you know saving lives, especially lives that are disproportionately impacted and touched by this by this crisis. We can't be worrying about what this thing costs. We have to do we have to do the right thing, as though that's the only solution again i don't even want to get into the details of that i just want to say this is kind of a parallel situation how how this is being covered i'll say covered i was going to use another word there that would have been interpreted as derogatory of of some of the coverage here and some of the coverage has been just well off the rails as far as I'm concerned, as it comes to coronavirus. So there's a similar, in fact, I I quoted or I cited, and I think I posted yesterday on Facebook, an article in, you know, I don't know where it was. I think it was at Newsweek. I posted several yesterday, but it it actually was an argument for why, uh, you know, our response to coronavirus should actually give us hope that mankind, humankind, excuse me, can get together and overcome this uh, climate change crisis. You know, if, if we ask, are asked to, to isolate and to basically shut down the entire world for some period of time over coronavirus, their argument is, well, certainly we can do this for climate change. And so I just think that this is important because I feel like this is coming. Once, once the dust settles and everything gets back to normal, 
whenever that's going to be from coronavirus, there are going to be people that are going to push for this, and they're going to make that argument. They're going to say, hey, climate change is even worse than coronavirus. We made sacrifices for coronavirus. Certainly we can make sacrifices for for climate change, and those sacrifices will be – I mean, I, you can only imagine what those will be. I mean, you see Greta taking a boat. She takes a ship from wherever she is in where, – where is she? The UK. She takes a ship. In fact, wasn't she en route somewhere and they canceled some conference? She was like, I don't know. It's a couple – it's the long trip. A long trip. She's taking a, a boat across the ocean. At least I'll say this, at least when she goes and criticizes those who jet around the world in private jets, she has a degree of, uh, you know, she's at least not hypocritic in that, hypocritical in that sense. But anyway, so just this, this extends outside of this crisis, but we've got to address it where it is today, this, this coronavirus crisis. And it is worst case scenario without considering the cost. And so... Just as you have people who say, look, with climate change, we cannot, we cannot afford to be wrong. If we're wrong, of course, the cost is the complete eradication of mankind from the face of the planet. That's it. That's the cost. That's how they've calculated that cost. And so we've got to take every step measurable because the only, only other alternative left to our own devices without extreme action on climate change, is that we'll destroy the planet, mankind will be wiped off, excuse me, humankind will be wiped off the face of the planet, and effectively ushering in the apocalypse of our own uh, of our own doing. Same general thing here. In fact, the people in climate change will tell you if you're a if you have questions, if you if you raise doubts about the data, or if you raise doubts about interpretations or models, predictions, you're a climate change denier. You're anti-science and all of this stuff. So it's the same sort of thing. You're not allowed to even have this debate. You're not allowed to have this debate if you are, if you're just asking the questions uh, pertaining to coronavirus. Because what what they'll say is, oh, do you want someone to get infected, Todd? Well, no. You know what? I don't. I don't want someone. I didn't want the stinking migraine I had last night. I didn't want that. I don't want the flu. I don't want a cold. You know, maybe I'm different than everybody else in the world. I know I'm not, but I would like to wake up every morning feeling really good, healthy, energetic, all that stuff. I don't want anything else. And candidly, I don't want anyone else to have this stuff either. But we have to, we have been operating, we have been operating collectively. And when you look at these states in particular, California shut down for 40 million people, right? New York City. 75% of workers have to stay home, according to the edict of Mayor Cuomo, or excuse me, Governor Cuomo. And so we're moving in these drastic directions, and it's as though we're not – they're not even considering the cost of the – it's that they're, they're, they're using the models, predictions – all this stuff of the absolute worst case scenario for the coronavirus spread, right? Millions of deaths. California says 56% of its people are going to be infected. I mean, I don't know where they get this stuff. There's, there's not an example of anywhere that we've seen of any numbers close to this. 
There's nothing like this. Now, they'll say, well, this thing will continue to come back. It'll come in waves. It's not really going to go away. Most people have it but don't know that they have it, except for they don't want to count the people that don't know that they have it when they're calculating the mortality rate. That would drop the mortality rate tremendously if the number of people that have it don't, you know, that they're correct. Indiana, again, Indiana said 70,000 people have it in Indiana already. Ohio said over 100,000 people in Ohio have it. Based upon what? Based upon models and projections. They assume that 1% of the people have it. And maybe their assumption is right, but I'll tell you this. If 1% of America has it, that's 3.3 million people. 3.3 million people. And we've got, I don't know what the exact total is now. I'm looking up here to see if I can see it on the TV. But the number of deaths I last saw yesterday was 150. 150, which look, I want to pause and say something about that next segment. Human life. As a conservative, mostly as a Christian, the, the, the value and, and dignity of human life is at the top of all things to me. I want to talk about that. So I'm not minimizing anything. But my goodness, the idea, if we're talking about mortality rates now, 150 out of 3.3 million, is that what they're trying to, to tell us? I, it just it boggles the mind to think that they're not even calculating the other effects. Who do they think is going to pay? How do they think they're going to pay for Medicare for all, for all these freebies, for the trillion plus dollars in giveaways or whatever you want to call it, the, the stimulus, bailouts of airlines, all this stuff? Who do they think is going to pay for that if they drive this economy headfirst into the ground? I mean, they tell us the dangers of poverty, and among the dangers of poverty are less, less healthy people. We're going to drive the average American family into into poverty so that you know what they they can have less healthy children in the future, less healthy members of their family. Watch the mortality, not the mortality rate, but watch the the average uh, lifespan decrease because of poverty and other things associated with that. Is that what they're trying? I mean, this it just they ignore totally this this particular aspect this particular side of the cost. And I hear rumors. I don't know what's going to happen happen here. I hear rumors like you hear. I hear people, uh, rumors from people that quite possibly know what they're talking about. I hear rumors from people that, you know, they don't know anything either. They're just, they've heard things from people, grumblings about actions and steps taken. And you start looking at, you know, what happens if a state shuts down like, California. Are you an essential business? What if you're a business owner of a non-essential business? Got to close your doors up and just take it on the chin. Trust them. Everything will be fine. No need to worry. It doesn't matter if your staff's healthy, if you're taking precautions, if you've not seen a single person out there who's displayed any symptoms or who's sick or concerned whatsoever. If people want to engage in hiring you for your service, no, can't do it because some state declares you as non-essential based upon whatever criteria i don't know in fact i think you want to talk about non-essential that's a huge factor who's a huge portion of the workforce that we see in government anyway there is so much to talk about but i want to use this article here again will the cost of a great depression outweigh the risk of coronavirus in the federalist written by executive editor joy pullman very well written, 
articulates a lot of the same things that I was going to talk about this morning anyway. So what I want to use that as a jumping off point here um, as we get to the program today. But I've got to take a time out. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. Welcome back. By the way, I should mention, I should mention this program is brought to you by Brought to you by our friends at Wallace Construction. Wallace Construction, I, I mentioned this because the weather is improving. Of course, we've had about here in central Indiana, it seems like we've had about 14 inches of rain recently, but the weather is breaking and it might be time to think about the, uh, I don't, your, your, your driveway, maybe your church's parking lot, your business's parking lot. And Wallace Construction can help with those things. They can help with other things as well besides asphalt paving. They can do patching and seal coating. They offer some construction services as well. If you're in the market for that or think that it's time to to look at doing that, get budget uh, for 2020, wherever you find yourself on that timeline, consider checking out our friends at Wallace Construction. Find out more information by going to their website, Wallace Construction Inc., INC, Wallace Construction Inc.com. That's Wallace Construction INC, Wallace Construction Inc.com. So, for the break, a couple things I, I, I mentioned. Number one, I wanted to say, I feel it's, a, it's important, it's appropriate to say, because we're talking about human lives, right? We're talking about human lives, and anytime you, you talk about human, human lives, I think it's important, just like I do when we talk about abortion on this show. I always say, I shouldn't say always, but I do my best because there are emotional uh, factors and components here. When we talk about abortion, I always make a point or do my best anyway to make a point to say, look, I'm not trying to for a a woman who's listening to my voice or even a man who was involved in perhaps a decision uh, to, to have an abortion with a girlfriend or whoever. This is not about heaping guilt or opening up wounds for things that have happened in the past. That is that's that is done. It's important that we uh, th- that folks understand that that is not about trying to cause any emotional distress or turmoil or bring up other feelings of guilt. In fact, I'm aware of of groups, women's groups that actually meet, women that have had abortions in the past to help counsel one another to help one another. As a Christian, I will tell you that we, whether you serve a God yet or not, we are created by a loving and forgiving God. And so that's important to note that. It's not about that. It's about protecting the lives, lives of unborn children from this moment forward. We can't do anything, unfortunately, to bring those back that were aborted, but we can do something from this moment forward. So, It's in the same sort of vein here that I need to say something about life in general because we're talking about we're talking about numbers and and it's easy to forget. And so this is a blanket statement because the rest of the program I'm gonna be talking about numbers and I'm gonna well, not for the whole program, but if numbers come up, see this statement if you think I'm sounding callous or some such thing, because it's not that. You know, whatever the number is, each number, each digit, 
whether it's one or 50,000 or 80 million or whatever the number is, that represents that represents a human life. And as a Christian, as one who believes in a creator God, as defined, as uh, revealed, I should say, in the in the Bible, this God, this God created us in his own image, created us in his own image. And he breathed, he breathed life into us. He gave us choice. He made us similar to him in ways, and don't take that the wrong way. You can't walk on water today. I had a professor, I had a professor one time who told me he would believe um, in a God if I, if I could walk on Holcomb Pond at Butler University. This was, this was probably 1998, I believe. And I told him, I said, Professor such and such, I'm not going to say his name, but I actually liked him quite a bit. He didn't like me that day. I'll tell you this. He was quite angry with me, slamming his hand on the table, carrying on out of control. It was the first time I ever realized just how much someone could <laughs> hate someone because, or at least hate the idea, be so angered and enraged at someone because of an idea, a belief that that person had. And he had it that day. I mean, he was off the rails, folks. He wasn't acting like logical, uh, super scientific professor that day. I mean, if it was that, you know, if, if it didn't matter, if, I mean, if, if there's no God, why is he bothered by my believing in it? Why didn't he just roll his eyes and continue with his life? But that's not what he chose to do. He told me, in fact, that if I could walk on Holcomb Pond, <laughs> I just, it's just bizarre to me. If I could walk on Holcomb Pond, then, then he would believe in God. And I said, Professor such and such, that's been done. And I wasn't the one that did it. He didn't like that answer either. I've since had people ask me if, if that would count, if my walking on Holcomb Pond would count if it was during the winter months when the pond was frozen over and that sort of thing. But look, this is, um, you know, there, there are, this, this concept of, of God stirs emotions in people. So I understand that. You don't have to believe what I believe. I'll tell you this, your lack of belief doesn't make me want to respond like Professor such and such did. You can believe what you want. It's your choice. It's your thoughts. I mean, fine. But I would maintain that there's actually quite a bit of evidence to suggest that what I'm saying is is actually uh, the truth. So anyway, but the, the idea is that we are created in this image, in an image of this God, and that life is is a holy thing. This is this is sacred. This is something that, I mean, human life is protecting and defending life is, I mean, really there's no more noble calling than that. And life is sacred. Individual lives, you know, the individual life of any person, any digit, any digit we want to assign it, that person, the Bible says God came to die for that person. So I'm not minimizing this in any way. It is sad when life is lost, regardless of the age, regardless of the cause, regardless of any of it. Some things are more tragic, unpredictable. Some things we can come to grips with better. I lost my grandfather a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago now. 
November of of 2017, and we, you know, he we, we knew it was it was coming, but it still is not something that I really I, I didn't want to accept it. I didn't. I miss him. I missed him then. The loss of life, the personal feeling of that is it wasn't any less because of how he passed or worse because of how he passed or anything like that. It's just that's that's what it is, right? That's that's the result of humanity's bad decision-making, bad uh, use of choice. And so anyway, life is sacred. So when we're talking about these things, understand that I'm coming at it from that perspective, Understand that I'm I'm I am coming at it from the perspective that we are created in the image of God and that God cared enough for each individual life that he came and died. Had it only been that person, he would have done that. And I believe that. That's that's who God is. That's who he's revealed himself to us to be. I don't want to get this into a sermon feeling, but look, I I point this out because it's important because we're talking about life and death. The other thing that's important though, I should point out as C.S. Lewis has pointed out in some of his works, that whatever, this is my way of saying it, it isn't necessarily his way, but something's going to get all of us, folks. And yes, we should take steps to prevent it. Yes, we should be wise. Yes, we should try to do our best. A lot of these things are our, our own choices. You see people making decisions that's going to shorten their lifespan, you know, scientifically, whether it be smoking or certain behaviors or whatever, but yet they choose to make them. And so there's a whole bunch of factors, a myriad of factors here. But what remains true is that it's appointed for all of us at some point to face this reality that death is unavoidable. And then after that, we face we face the judgment. You can, you can call into question that latter part if you don't believe in a creator. But it's not really. The first part is pretty darn pro-science. I can tell you that. So anyway... I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this and the other the other costs, the other the other things that are associated with this. And then we're going to go back to this article that I referenced last segment, which again I'll, I'll try to post to Facebook here uh, during the break. So that said, taking a break. Be back to talk about that in just a minute. <laughs> I should say too. Thank you for those that find, especially in this in this you know tough economic climate and so forth. I appreciate those of you who take the time to consider and to do business with those who advertise on this on this program. I've shared on here before. I get to know the vast majority of these folks, and that is that is the truth. I don't know moving forward that'll always be the truth, but we always. You know, we're trying to find people uh, to introduce to you, to you know, to partner with us that that we think can help you and provide services and things that you would want and need. And so, I appreciate those of you who take the time to buy from, or at least entertain buying from our advertisers. I always enjoy hearing messages from people, and I do. I hear messages from advertisers sometimes. Hey, I just want to tell you this, that, and the other. So, thank you for doing that. But getting back to business here, I want to. Talk about this article in the Federalist 
Will the costs of a great re- uh, depression, not recession, depression, outweigh the risks of coronavirus? And this is what Joy Pullman, executive editor of the Federalist, uh, writes. And I think, again, if you, I encourage you to read this. I posted this on Facebook. You can Google it, whatever you want to do. Um, but I, this is, this this summarizes a lot of the, the questions and things that I've been thinking and have wanted to share with you. And so we're using it as a bit of a roadmap here this morning. Federal and state governments are making a massive gamble about a little understood new virus. They may not only be letting, or excuse me, betting our entire economy, but our nation's future. Thus, it's imperative that they not make foolish choices. Again, in this article in The Federalist, we shouldn't allow policy under a Republican president to be driven by a Democrat like Steve Mnuchin whose overwhelming priority is reassuring Wall Street above all else. Voters don't vote for Donald Trump or get Obama-Bush bailouts of Wall Street and welfare expansions. The current gamble seems to be the current gamble seems to be shut down the nation indefinitely to suppress a virus that is especially deadly to some demographics and experts agree cannot be contained only slowed. The New York Times claims the basis of many U.S. officials' decisions so far uh, is a report from Imperial College London and other models that spit out similar results. It says to contain the virus, it will be necessary to quarantine Americans for two to three months stretches repeatedly over the next 18 months. That's important to note. Emphasis is not added. She added the emphasis with italics in this in this piece. The alternative, says the report, is 4 million Americans dead, half uh, who would otherwise have lived but instead die for lack of medical capacity, such as ventilators. If we merely quarantine sick people and those at risk a, quote, mitigation strategy, end quote, it projects the U.S. death toll at about 2 million, again, half from lack of ventilators, not depth of disease. This is why state governors are shutting down restaurants, schools, entertainment venues, government office, parks, historical uh, sites, churches and travel, and in the case of California, the whole entire state. Most Americans, and that's my, my emphasis added on that last part, most Americans and businesses likely can sustain a suspension of their lives for two weeks, the usual annual vacation time. But start extending these bans to one to two months and then to four to, and six months, and people are going to revolt as they sit chained to their houses, watching their jobs, businesses, and retirement accounts disappear, replaced with funny money taken from yet unborn generations and no end in sight. Numerous people are already skeptical and fed up with the lockdowns, and we're not a week in. Computer estimates can't weigh all of the real risks. Plus, these are just estimates, not a crystal ball. We can't know the future, and different countries have already shown highly different disease spreads based on different population characteristics, healthcare capacity, and government response just one competing projection and i've got to take a break here in a second again reading from this article in the federalist just one competing projection from the hoover institution suggests the quote total number of cases worldwide will peak out well under peak out peak out at well under 1 million with the total number of deaths at under 50,000 
this is near the annual death rate due to flu in the United States alone. Let me read that part again. This would be, this is near the annual death rate due to flu in the United States alone. We don't know if that estimate is accurate either, but that's the point. That's the point. We've got estimates all over the place, right? But for some reason, for some reason, we're consistently choosing these state governors in particular. They're choosing to believe the worst case scenario, justifying whatever action they want to take, folks, whatever action, up to the point where we're even encouraging. You see people now online. I see people online that were cheering for the for some of these restaurants to be put out of business because they were junk anyway, as these people said. One one writer in particular said, "Yeah, you know, just take down this restaurant or that restaurant. They should never be. They shouldn't even be in existence anyway. That's a bunch of junk." I mean, the market apparently disagrees because up until the point of forced shutting down, people were eating at said restaurants. Anyway, more on this. I'm going to continue reading this. And again, if you want to read it yourself, we're going to talk, not just read this. This isn't going to be you know, reading hour with Todd or anything, but we're going to talk about points of this. But if you want to read the whole thing yourself, you can go to our Facebook page or Google it. I encourage you to do that. It's at thefederalist.com. Got to take a break. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I am your host, Todd Huff. Back in just a minute. So, going back to this, going back to this article here, going back to this article in the Federalist again posted at Facebook, picking up, uh, picking up where we left off. We left off by saying that there's other projections that show that the numbers are much, much lower than what these radical projections are. I mean, you've seen projections: two hundred fourteen Amer- million Americans contracting the virus. Uh, mortality rates of 3%. That's where people get some of these crazy numbers, 3% of 214 million. And look, I'm not saying that ever in the case of mankind, that this or humankind, excuse me, that this, can, this can't happen because this has happened. But this is not, uh, again, I know some people will die with this from this, so I'm not minimizing. Go back to earlier segment, segment number two, where I talked about the value of, of human life. I'm talking about I'm talking about the the numbers here. I'm talking about the numbers. This is not the bubonic plague. This is not smallpox. It doesn't mean that it can't be bad. It doesn't mean that it can't be fatal. It just means that there are other considerations be, between simply projecting how many people are going to have this. And there's numbers all over the place. Governor Newsom California says 56% of his citizens are going to get this. And I'll tell you something else. There's going to be no accountability for this. If 56%, which what's for California is 40 million, is that what it is? If is that is that right, Oz? Oz doesn't understand. I can't hear with these headphones on. Yeah, she's getting the head nod now. But 50 or I'm sorry, 40 million people, 56%, I'm not going to do the calculation, but that's slightly over 20 million. 20 million people. Seeing if, if there's not 20 million cases of it, 
they're going to be praised as you know having prevented it. If there are 20 million cases, they're going to say, man, think how bad it would have been if we didn't take these actions. It's kind of the same way with government programs. Government programs are never the fault. If they don't work, they didn't have enough funding. That's how this always works. It's always funding. It's never, it's never the, the fundamental idea underlying the program. It's never the stated purpose of the program. Of course, it's not the stated purpose. The stated purpose sounds utopian when you read it. This, what is actually the problem is whether these programs can do what they say because it just steps outside of the bounds of government or it's something that can't be done, violates human nature, something like that. But again, again, with this, um, you know, there, there's projections like this. There's going to be no accountability for these folks. They can act with reckless abandon. And if it harms the economy, they're going to say, look, what price do you put on human lives? What price do you put on that? And a lot of people are going to pause and they're going to say, well, how do you respond to that? But there is another cost. There is another cost, and it's the destruction of businesses and lives in other in other ways. In other ways. Some of this stuff is completely is completely unavoidable. It's it's part of living in a broken world. Now, again, that's not to say go out there and just do whatever you want, sneeze all over people, you know, smell hair like Joe Biden does, that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is perspective. There are other things on both sides of the coin here that we need to look at. And I've got to take a break. Got to take a break. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. Welcome back. Look, I have, there's a lot more to say about this. A lot more to say about this. I'm going to, eh, just a little bit further here, a little bit further in this article at The Federalist. Here's another hysteria skeptic, as uh, as this article points out, hysteria, hysteria skeptic with impeccable medical and statistical knowledge, John P. A. Ioannidis, I. O-A-N-N-I-D-I-S, a professor of medicine, epidemiology, and statistics at Stanford University and co-director of Stanford's Meta Research Innovation Center. By the way, posting this shortly on our Facebook page as well if you want to read the full, the full article by this professor. Here's what he says. If we assume the case fatality rate among individuals infected by COVID-19 – is 0.3% in the general population. A mid-range guess from my diamond princess analysis in that 1% of the U.S. population gets infected. He needs to talk to Governor, uh, Governor Newsom about that. That's about 3.3 million people. This would translate into about uh, 10,000 deaths. That sounds like a huge number, but it is buried within the noise of the estimate of deaths of influenza-like illness. Right? And so, sorry, I got to... Here we go. So he says here, if we had not known about a new virus out there and had not checked individuals with PCR tests, the number of total deaths due to influenza-like illness would not seem unusually high this year. At most, we might have casually noted that flu season seems to be a bit worse than average. So anyway, I got more to say about this. I'm about to get to that into the next hour. 
Guys, thanks for listening as always. SDG. See you soon. Take care.